Uh, let's go to the Lord before we begin. Lord, we are uh, just so thankful that we are still here, able to gather, that you have kept uh, our church safe from the coronavirus uh, to the best of our knowledge. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for protecting our body. Lord, we pray for uh, the rest of the world as, as we uh, uh, eagerly wait for a solution to this issue, Lord. And we pray that you'll lift the plague from us uh, whenever it is that you have taught us that uh, what you would like us to know throughout this, this pandemic, Lord. And now as we come to you this morning, Lord, we pray that you will illumine our minds to understand this passage, Lord, that we will see that there is a mind that is set on the flesh and that there is a mind that is set on the spirit. And Lord, we want to be sure that our mind is set on the spirit. We pray for your help this morning. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, do you remember when you were a kid or maybe when you were in school, you used to play uh, with magnets. Uh, I brought magnets with me this morning. There is, on a horseshoe-shaped magnet, there is a south pole and there is a north pole. And when you put another magnet to it, if you put the same sides together, they repel each other. You can't get these two magnets to stick together no matter what. But if you put the opposite ends together, well, they stick like that and they, they, the polarity is such that there is an attractive force on the one side and there is a repelling force on the other side. And it's really cool uh, to feel that. I love that sensation of trying to get them to stick together and they won't, but then on the other side, you get them anywhere close to each other and they just click together. Well, I thought about that because I was thinking about the mind according to the flesh uh, and the will of the spirit, how that is a, a repelling force. They, they will not gel together. They will not stick together. It's like trying to put the north end of a magnet together with the north end of another piece of metal. They're just, it's not going to happen. Uh, but the mind of the uh, spirit and the will of the Holy Spirit, well, that is the opposite ends. That's the attractive force of the south end of, a, of the magnet with the north end of another. And they stick together uh, and they immediately gel. Uh, so that's what we have. There's this attraction uh, when we have the mind of the Spirit and the will of the, of the, the mindset on the Spirit uh, and the Holy Spirit acting in concert together. There is this attraction. Uh, they're in lockstep together. And so that's what our passage is about this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about the contrast between the mind that is set on the Spirit versus the mind that is set on the flesh. And we'll see that there are two eternal destinations. Uh, the mindset on the flesh is death, uh, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So their eternal destinations are at stake. Now, before we get to our passage today, let's just remember where we are uh, in Romans and in Romans 8 in particular. Remember, in verse 1, we saw that there was now no condemnation, right, uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we had the fact of uh, there being no condemnation based on uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then in verses 2 to 4, we saw the how and the why of no condemnation. It's because of the work of God in sending his son Jesus to make sacrifice for us, for paying for our sins, uh, living a perfect sinless life, which qualified him uh, to be the sacrifice that God demands for our sin. And when we believed in him for our salvation, while well, Jesus' perfect sinless life, his life according to the law, was credited to our account, while our sins were credited to his account. And then God condemned our sins in Jesus' flesh so that he would not have to condemn our sins in our own flesh. And that is justification. 
at the moment that we believed we were justified. God credited Jesus's sinless life to us, and we gained right legal standing with God, which we can never lose. But something else happened at that moment of justification. We received the Holy Spirit as well. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, as explained in verses 2 to 4, the Spirit of life in Christ frees us from the law of sin and death. And we know that the law of sin and death is, is this principle that because we have violated God's standards, we are subject and worthy of punishment, of condemnation. But because we have believed in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we're not going to suffer that punishment because Jesus has already paid that punishment for us. And so we are saved by the work of Christ and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as God's own. So that's one ministry of the Holy Spirit. He seals us for all eternity. And so uh, that's his role in our salvation, but he plays another role and that is in our sanctification. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, helps sanctify us, and sanctification is just, just means us becoming more like Christ over time uh, by obeying the direction of the Holy Spirit's will in our lives. And so when we think about justification and sanctification, these may seem like big fancy words, but they're really not. All they mean is justification is when we are saved. The moment we're saved, it's represented by that blue dot. It happens at a moment in time. We are justified, sealed by the Holy Spirit. But then we have this progressive sanctification, which means that we're becoming increasingly more like Christ. And that activity is also enabled by the Holy Spirit, our cooperative effort with the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ over time. And so that's why justification and sanctification can't be separated. They're not the same thing, uh, but they can't be separated uh, because you have justification uh, that starts the process of sanctification. You can't become more like Christ until you receive the Holy Spirit, and that happens at justification. So we see that these two concepts of justification and sanctification are intimately related. And Paul had been talking about salvation up into about the middle of verse 4. And then after, in the second half of verse 4, and now in the passage that we're going to study today, there is a perceptible shift as we notice that Paul begins to talk about this process of sanctification, our cooperation with the Holy Spirit who now indwells us and makes us live out this life uh, that, that Christ would have us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in our passage today, what Paul wants to show us is this vast chasm that exists between the life that is set on the flesh on the one hand, and then on the other hand, the life that is marked by the Spirit, a life, a mindset that is set on the Holy Spirit. And so we see that today, uh, this, this mind that is in the flesh, the mind according to the flesh, this is the unsaved man, the man who has not received the Holy Spirit yet. And then the life uh, of, of someone in the Spirit is somebody who has received the Holy Spirit. He's been saved. And so we have this contrast between the unsaved, uh, the unbeliever, and the saved, the believer. Uh, one does not have the Holy Spirit. The other one does. And that makes a marked difference in how these people live their lives. And so as we uh, go through these contrasts that we'll see in this verse, they're, they're these, in these verses, it's a real good test for us. When we read these verses, do we identify with the mind set on the spirit or do we identify with the mind set on the flesh? 
And it's also a good way uh, to, to talk to our perhaps new believing friends or perhaps unbelieving friends who don't know how, uh, what, what a saved life looks like. We can show, Paul, show them Paul's test here and say, uh, look, are, are you uh, like these magnets that I showed earlier? Are you, are you attracted to the things of God? Are, are, you, are, you, are you feeling that click with God? Or, or, or when you think about the things of God, are you repelled? You, you don't stick to God. So uh, it's a good way to, to, to use this as a litmus test, to, to talk to believers and unbelievers alike. So let's look at verses 5 to 8. And we'll talk about the, this mindset of unbelievers uh, versus the mindset of believers. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind, of the, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is even not able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So notice the contrast. Uh, Paul continues to contrast this mindset of the spirit against the mind of the flesh uh, on the other hand. And so we have this mindset of unbelievers versus this mindset of believers. And what I want us to realize and remember, some of you have been saved for a really long time, uh, but before you were saved, all there was was the mindset of an unbeliever, the mindset on the flesh. That's what we were before we were saved. Uh, that's because, to use Paul's phrase, we too were at one time according to the flesh. That means a life lived according to the power of the flesh uh, by a person who is not yet indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We lived the only way we knew how. We didn't know better. We didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. And so we lived our lives as unbelievers. And a mind that has not been regenerated, quickened, awakened, uh, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit can only live according to the flesh. And that's how all of us were before God did his amazing, miraculous work in each one of us. Now, opposed to the mind of the flesh is the mind of the spirit. And it's only possible to have your mind set on the spirit if, in fact, you have received the Holy Spirit. And you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you have not received the Holy Spirit, well, you are what is called by Paul, you're a natural man. He uses that term in 1 Corinthians. So I want us just to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, these couple of verses here, because the contrast is similar to what we're seeing in this passage and, and what is said very explicitly here in 1 Corinthians 2. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So that is the man in the flesh still. But the spiritual man, he who is spiritual, appraises all things, but he himself is appraised by no one. So there is a fundamental difference between the person who lives according to the flesh and the person who lives according to the spirit, and that is that the person who lives according to the spirit has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And somebody who has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit can be spiritually discerning, whereas someone who has not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit has only himself to rely on, and he has no interest in the things that will glorify God. Uh, without the Holy Spirit, a fleshly man uh, cannot have a spiritual mindset. He's enslaved to sin. He's enslaved to his lifestyle, and his ultimate end is death. 
and I mean spiritual death, eternity separated from God. And so we want to be sure as we go through this passage that we resemble the person, the man, the woman whose life is according to the spirit and not the man, the woman who lives according to the flesh. So as we look through, we can see four characteristics of the man, woman who lives according to the flesh. And the first thing we see is that he has a fleshly mindset. The first half of verse five, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, before I was a believer, and I'm sure many of you have had this same experience before you were believers, uh, I had no idea that there was another way to live, that you could live for God. I woke up every day thinking about how I could live for myself. What are my goals for the day, for my ends, how to please myself to get what I want uh, in life? That's how uh, an unbeliever lives his life, and that's how I lived my life. Uh, and many of you may be able to relate to that. And so uh, that mindset, of course, results in all manner of sin because all we're doing is looking to please ourselves. Uh, and it, re it, it results in all manner of harm that we cause to other people and regrets that we have to live uh, the rest of our lives with. And uh, when we look back on it, we realize that the way we were trying to please ourselves is a complete and utter waste of time. Uh, but I didn't know that at the time. At the time, I thought I was having fun. I thought I was doing what everybody does. I didn't realize that I was living a life of sin and that sin has consequences. And it's not until you look back behind you and you see some of the carnage that lies in the wake of your selfish and, and sinful behavior uh, that you realize that sin has consequences. But in your flesh, not even that is enough to make you change your ways. Uh, you can't change a fleshly mindset without some kind of spiritual infusion, some kind of work by the Holy Spirit. Uh, someone with a fleshly mindset might say, well, you know, I need to give up drinking or I need to give up drugs or I need to give up sleeping around or, or whatever that particular person's sin uh, may be. But if he says that, he's probably saying it because he realizes that those things are ruining his life, not because he's got any real desire to please God. He's still in the flesh. He's still trying to figure out how to make his life as good as it can possibly be. And so uh, he's in it for himself, not to please God. And even in himself, he certainly doesn't have the power uh, to change himself. Uh, he will still have this fleshly mindset, and he doesn't have the power to defeat sin. He just doesn't have the tools in his toolbox to claim victory over it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so more likely than not, he may make a pledge that he's going to change his life, but he won't be able to because he lacks the tools necessary. He's powerless over the sin and he's going to become enslaved to it over and over again. And so probably what happens is that if someone thinks that he has the mindset, uh, the ability to overcome his sin, well, what he's done is he's either underestimated the power of sin in his life, or he's overestimated his, his own ability to overcome that sin. Uh, an addict says, I can quit any time. But anybody around that addict has seen it, knows firsthand, there's no way that person can quit in his own power, or else he would. Uh, he doesn't have the tools in his toolbox to do it. And the same thing is true of the, of the fleshly person who lives a life of sin. Uh, he may say on the one hand, well, it's not really sin, or I can lick this at any time. But in reality, he's enslaved to it because he is a person of the flesh and he's likely to remain in his sin. So the mind according to the flesh has a fleshly mindset. That's the first thing. The next thing we see that he has a dead end future. The mindset on the flesh is death. 
If we were to look at James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we see the same uh, concept. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to death. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so this cycle is clear. The cycle that James is talking about, the cycle that Paul is talking about. It starts with a depraved mind, a mind that is corrupted by the sin nature. Uh, and the sin nature affects the flesh, and the flesh lives out the desires of the sin nature. And sin results, and sin results uh, in, 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 and causes death. And not just physical death, again, this is spiritual death, the death that separates us from all eternity from God. And if you think about it, uh, the, the people that you have known in your life who uh, have lived these sinful lifestyles, and perhaps even you and me before we were saved, there are several characteristics in people like that that we can identify, people that we can say, you know, that, that person just doesn't look like they're living right. They look like they are on the road to eternity, separated from God. And what you see is a pattern of sinful behavior, uh, a pattern uh, that, that is hostile to God, against the things of God. There's a complete lack of desire to change. Uh, they're completely content in the way they live. They're, they're happy uh, with their sin and in their conduct and in their own attitudes towards God. And there's, there's no desire to want to change, to live for God. And they accept themselves for who they are, uh, seeking after, and not, not seeking after God, but seeking after themselves and their own fleshly desires. And day after day, this is their lifestyle, and days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, years turn into decades, and they are headed down the road toward hell. And we've already seen in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 that they have no excuse uh, it's, it's on them, it's their responsibility, and they will face the consequences. Their end is spiritual death. So uh, this mind set on the flesh uh, has a fleshly mindset. It has a dead-end future, and we also see that its attitude toward God is hostile. Uh, unbelievers deny God. They deny his standards. A sinful, uh, selfish person refuses to submit to God, uh, and, and they just cannot get themselves to do it. Uh, and, and here's the thing that we as believers have to realize when we are dealing with, with unbelievers. Uh, we can't treat them the same way that we treat believers. We have to think of them differently. And this is what Paul so clearly pointed out in verse 7. He says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And that's where we, as Christians, uh, sometimes we, we hold unbelievers to a standard that's much higher than they are possibly able to achieve because, as it says, they're not able to do so, and that's because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so we may expect all people to act in a certain way. It would be nice if everybody acted like a mature believer at all times, right? That would be a great thing. Uh, and when, when we expect that of all people, it may be that, that we forget that, that, you know, as Christians, we tend to huddle towards our own, right? We, we hang out at, at work gatherings with other believers. When, when we go to our kids' soccer games, we tend to congregate toward the believers. And it's like a, you know, a dance with boys on one side and girls on the other, right? It's, it's like the Christians on one side, the non-Christians on the other, and we don't congregate with them. And before long, there are not many Christian or non-Christians that we even interact with anymore. All of our friends 
are believers. And yet, we still expect the unbelievers and the immature Christians to act like fully mature Christians. And that's not right. It's not fair to hold them up to that kind of standard. And I do it too. I, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've said, I wish that person would just you know, do this according to the Bible or do that according to the Bible. But they don't know the Bible and they're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So it's unfair for me uh, to expect them to live up to that level uh, because they are in the flesh and they don't have the tools uh, to act any differently. Uh, so for example, you might some, uh, hope someone might come to you to reconcile a biblical concept uh, or conflict according to the concepts of Matthew chapter 18 and, and you'd expect them to come to you and then come to you with a friend and then come to you with the elders. But an unbeliever doesn't know that. An unbeliever doesn't know that's what he's supposed to do. He doesn't have the spirit to teach him that. He's not read the Bible to teach him that. Or if you have a job and you're expecting to get a promotion based on your merit, uh, and then you find out that the boss gives the, the promotion and, and the raise to his no-good, do-nothing do nephew, or, or the woman that he happens to be having an affair with in the office, and you say, how does this happen? This is not fair. Well, newsflash. Uh, unbelievers don't act like they have the Holy Spirit because they don't have the Holy Spirit and we shouldn't hold them to that standard of conduct because they can't act like they have the Spirit when they don't. So they reject God and his standards. Now, before we uh, you know, continue to beat on these unbelievers, let's realize for us how hard it is for us who are indwelled with the Spirit of God to actually work in concert with the Holy Spirit and do what God wants us to do. We know that God wants us to do this, and yet we, we want to do that, and we fight against the Holy Spirit, right? North Pole to North Pole on the magnet. We, we, we have our own way. We have our own thing that we want to do. And it's hard for us, even with the Holy Spirit, to obey God. So what chance does an unbeliever have? So let's be sure we're giving grace to the unbeliever, let's be sure that our conduct is impeccable. So perhaps they notice something different about us and they say, what is it about that person? I want to have what they have. And I think, uh, you know, one way that we can do this is to think about how we behave ourselves on social media. You know, it's very easy when an unbeliever posts something on Facebook, for example, that's, you know, some real snarky comment about God or, or that's hostile to God and, and hostile to Christians. And it's easy for us, you know, just type it out, quick, quick answer, and, you know, try and bury them uh, with what we might say back to them on social media. But, but realize that, I don't know who said this, but, but somebody said, uh, you may be the only Bible that an unbeliever ever reads. So we want to be sure that we are the Bible that the unbeliever is reading and not fire back and not stoop down, not go low. We need to go high as Christians, take the high road, show them the love of Christ. We need to ooze grace both in person and on social media so that we are attractive like the South Pole and North Pole, the opposite ends of a magnet. So what we see is that we want them to see us living according to the Spirit, so they might want to live according to the Spirit as well. But uh, the mind according to the flesh has a fleshly mindset, a dead-end future, and a mind that is hostile toward God. And finally, we see in verse 8 that they have an inability to please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. A similar verse that you uh, are familiar with is, is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so the same concept is going on here. Uh, Paul explained this concept in this verse. 
And this is a difficult concept. Uh, if you're an unbeliever, it's hard for, for an unbeliever to understand this. Uh, they believe or, or they think that, and look at this very wealthy celebrity, and he just gave a whole bunch of money to charity, like millions of dollars, or he went and did this thing or that thing, and it was a great thing uh, that he did. Uh, and so how is it possible that this act of generosity, uh, this act of, of charity, is not pleasing to God? How is that possible? Well, we think about that. We have to understand that it's because uh, an unbeliever can't please God because his motivations are not right. He's not done them to glorify God. There's something else behind the motivation that's making him do what he's done. And so uh, most of us believers, we've, we've given money to charity, we've worked for some mission, uh, we've done things like that. And, and if you're like me, and if we're really being honest, the truth is uh, we do want God to get the glory, but, but we don't mind if we get a little bit of glory for ourselves, right? Uh, it's nice when somebody says, uh, you know, you really did a good job, or you get a pat on the back, uh, you know, God is pleased with what you've done today, you know, that kind of thing. If we're really being honest, we do want to be noticed. Uh, so that is a constant struggle uh, between believers uh, and, and this desire to glorify God and, and trying not to steal his glory at the same time. Now, how impossible is it for an unbeliever who doesn't live to glorify God uh, to, to live any other way except to do these things to glorify self? Uh, they're motivated by good press. They're motivated by accolades from friends, uh, from tax write-offs. And look, I have no doubt uh, that they enjoy seeing the good things that they do with the money as well. If you give you know, $100 million to St. Jude's Hospital and you know that kids with cancer are being healed and helped by that money, that's a very satisfying feeling. Uh, but that's not enough to be pleasing to God. Uh, without belief in Jesus Christ as Savior and without the indwelling Holy Spirit that motivates the gift, well, oftentimes that's a gift that just glorifies self. And a gift like that does not earn anything towards salvation. The only thing that earns anything towards salvation is faith. Faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And so the good things that we do uh, after we have received Jesus as Savior that are motivated by wanting to please God, those things are pleasing to God. But anything that's done out of motivation to glorify self will not be pleasing to God. Now, think about why that is. Uh, we can see why Paul says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And uh, let's just realize that, that uh, people in the flesh, they have rejected God's Son. They have rejected God's Son. So let that think, sink in for a second. Uh, let's say that your son auditioned for a school play. And he wanted the lead role, and it was a really going to be a great role for him. And the director of the play said to you, uh, your son can't sing, he can't act, he can't dance, and the last thing that he should ever do is come anywhere near a theater, ever. Find some other line of work. Now, if that director said that to you, how would you feel about him? He's rejected and humiliated your son. Now, if that director goes and gives a bunch of money to St. Jude's Hospital, you don't care, right? He's embarrassed and humiliated your son. And so that, I think, is how God feels about these good works that are done outside of faith. First, you reject his son, and then you go give money to charity. Well, 
Accept the son, love the son, and then give money to, to charity, and then you have it right. What can you possibly do to make up for the rejection and humiliation of God's son? Well, no, not giving money to charity. That's not the answer. Receive the son, love the son, uh, then we can talk. And so there is nothing about that person that can make up for his rejection of God's son by anything else that he does. And that's why people who are uh, in the flesh cannot please God. So those who are in the flesh, they have a fleshly mindset, a dead-end future, a mind that is hostile to God, and they have an inability to please God. So we don't want to look like that. We want to contrast that with what a person who is in the Spirit looks like. And so we'll look at these characteristics, and I hope we see ourselves in these things. <clears throat> in Romans 8, 5, the second half, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the spirit. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those whose minds are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So when we were saved, the Holy Spirit came in and set up his dwelling place within us. And now our spirit and the Holy Spirit share a space. Now, if you've ever had a roommate, you know that if you have a good roommate, that can be a really great situation. You might develop a lifelong relationship and friendship with your roommate if you get along. But if you have a bad roommate, somebody who you don't get along with, well, that can be an absolute disaster. Uh, when I was in college, I had a roommate who used to set his very loud alarm clock for 5.30 every morning because he used to get up and run like 10 miles or something before class. And we were not doing that. Uh, we were doing something else. <laughs> we stayed up late. We got up late. He went to bed early and got up early. It was South Pole to South Pole on the magnet. There was clashing. There was tension. We didn't get along at all. We had different lifestyles. And so that's what it is when, uh, when we are living against the Spirit. Uh, but when we believers, uh, when, when we are living with this mindset according to the Spirit, well, there's not that kind of clashing. And so this is why uh, believers should not marry unbelievers. This is a tangent, and uh, this is another sermon for another week, but it's North Pole to North Pole when believers marry unbelievers. That's why we always say and counsel that a believer should always marry another believer. But again, that's a sermon for another day. But the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, uh, and the, the believer wants to walk in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. And if he does, if the believer wants to walk in lockstep with the Spirit, he'll cooperate with the Holy Spirit, because sanctification is this cooperative effort between us and the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. And, and as we desire to do that, we become what I would call spiritually aligned. We align ourselves with the things of the Spirit. The Spirit's will and our will are in sync. There is harmony. We want the same things. Now, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to glorify and to magnify Jesus Christ. And if we want the same thing, well, then there is harmony. We are working together, and there is North Pole to South Pole attraction. We stick together. There is spiritual alignment, and so we want to be spiritually aligned with the Holy Spirit. And spiritual alignment has its results, too. We see them in verse 6, life and peace. Uh, first, life, the mindset on the Spirit is life. And Paul means today, and he means for eternity. So uh, where this unbeliever has this unbroken string of sin uh, that's not broken by belief in Jesus Christ, his path leads directly to death. 
But for ourselves, uh, our sin pattern was interrupted by the Holy Spirit who has drawn us to, to, to Christ and has saved us. And now uh, we are sealed as gods for all time. And on the day that we believed, the Holy Spirit sealed us, indwelt us, and eternal life began on that day. Now, you don't need to be able to tell me what day that was. You don't have to know that. What's important is that it happened, not when it happened, but that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, life began, eternal life began on that day for you. We have life. We have life now, and we have it forever. And not only that, but we also have peace we saw this in chapter 5, verse 1. Remember, therefore, having been reconciled to God, we have peace with him. Now, <clears throat> would anybody characterize our world today as peaceful? Anyone? No, not a single hand. Uh, this world today is the furthest thing I think we could find from peaceful. Uh, that's the last word I would use to describe it. We have coronavirus that's threatening our lives. It's threatening our economy. Uh, it's tearing our, our, our country apart. We have civil war in the street, practically, as we watch uh, rioters and demonstrators burn down buildings, and, and we have politicians on both sides blaming each other, saying, it's your fault, it's your fault. Uh, we have international strife as uh, uh, tensions between China and the U.S. have escalated over the virus, and, uh, of course, the Russia scandal and, and all that that was uh, mentioned, and then the, the, the Muslim extremists, of course, who still want to kill us. Th there is no peace in the world right now, and we would be hard-pressed to find it anywhere. In fact, if you're looking for peace right now, probably the best place to look is inside the heart of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is calm in the midst of the chaos that exists in the world. There's calm inside the heart and the, and the spirit of a believer because we know where we're headed. We know that no matter what happens to us, we're going to be with Jesus Christ someday. So they can come and take our body. They can come and kill us. Whatever they do to us, we know that we have peace with the Lord God. And we know that nothing happens that is beyond God's control. So yes, the world is crazy. Yes, the world is off the rails. But do we believe in a sovereign God? If we believe in a sovereign God, then we have nothing to fear. God is in control of this. And so it'll end when he has taught us what he wants to teach us, whether that's discipline, whether that's revival. That's God's call. But it'll end when God is ready for it to end. And we have to believe that God is in control of this thing. And so uh, I wouldn't trade peace with God, the peace that I have with God, for anything in the world. No matter what happens to me, I know where I'm going. It's going to be okay. And I hope you all know the same. It's going to be okay. Peace with God means that you are saved and your eternity is secure no matter what happens to you. So we have life and we have peace <clears throat> and we have the ability to please God. Now, it's not specifically stated in these verses. We're going to see it a lot more next week. Uh, but the corollary to unbelievers being unable to please God is that believers are able to please God. And, and pleasing God is, is all about the timing of the behavior that we're doing to please God and the mindset that we, are, that we have as we're doing these things. So as I said earlier, uh, when we do things outside of faith, well, that's not pleasing to God. But when we, re we do things after we have faith, that we're doing them in gratitude for the gift of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and salvation that we have, well, now we are doing works in the right order and for the right purpose. Uh, and so, uh, as I said, uh, all the good works done outside of faith do nothing to incur any debt on God's behalf to do anything for you. You have to receive his son. 
And so we do these works because we are thankful for God's grace in our lives. So our works to please God must be done in faith, not apart from faith, trying to cause God to become indebted to us for some reason. So one who lives according to the flesh cannot please God, but one who lives according to the Spirit can please God. And that doesn't mean that there is not going to be conflict between uh, the mind of the Spirit and the will of the Holy Spirit, because our minds, even though we have the mind uh, that wants to live according to the Spirit, we're going to have conflict because we still have that fleshly man that lives inside of us. But over time, we should become more obedient to the Holy Spirit's will in our lives. Uh, so praise God for these things. And let's think about a couple of applications uh, as we close. And the first one is this, uh, that we need to be spiritually aligned. Uh, if you've ever had to uh, train a puppy, uh, you know that that is very difficult work. It's very rough in the beginning. Uh, my parents just bought a puppy, and uh, it's been difficult. They, they, the puppy uh, eats socks, and he eats remote controls, and he does his business over here when he's supposed to do it over there. Uh, and it's hard to get the, the puppy to live the way you want that puppy to live. Uh, but as you work with the puppy, you're, you're teaching him uh, to obey what it is that you want. To eat this, not this. Do your business here. Don't do your business there. And, and after time, after a few months, hopefully, uh, this puppy is now obedient to you. And it makes uh, dog ownership so much more enjoyable if you have a dog that you can take places and live in your house with. He's not going to destroy your house. And so uh, in the same way, the Holy Spirit trains us so we no longer have accidents, uh, as it were. Uh, we do His will more and more as we mature in the faith. And as we mature in the faith, uh, we will notice that His will is our will. And when those things happen, that's when spiritual alignment happens. North Pole to South Pole, we stick together uh, with God's will. And that's the Holy Spirit's goal for our lives. And that is called sanctification. And those who have their minds set on the things of the Spirit want to make progress every day through cooperating with the power of the Holy Spirit. So be spiritually aligned. And secondly, reflect on how the Holy Spirit has changed you. Now, when I look back over my life, um, what can I say? When I look back at what the Holy Spirit has done in my life to take a rebel like me uh, and conform me more and more to his image, I'm not there yet by any stretch, but I'm getting closer every day. Uh, when I think about what he's done in my life, uh, I just can't help but be awed by it. Like In my own power, I would never never have submitted to God's will for my life. I would never uh, have become under the Spirit's control. But now as I submit more and more to the Holy Spirit's control, I realize that the submission to God that I fought against for so long is actually the source of life and the source of peace in my life. And so I wouldn't trade it for anything, and I'd be lost without it. So God drew me to himself, right? He drew me to himself. And, and whereas before, uh, you know, this was God and me, you know, this just it's not happening, right? And then over time, God drew me to himself. And then click, click, the magnet, uh, 
the Holy Spirit indwells me, and now I can live according to his will, and more and more I try hard to do that. And I pray that that's your experience too, that you're just drawn to Christ, and as you have clicked with him, you want more and more to become like him uh, and to do his will. And so it's a valuable exercise to reflect on the past and think about where we used to be and how far God has brought us. But if we're really feeling bold, we might look into the future and say, well, okay, here I am now, but what does God want from me tomorrow in six months, a year from now? Uh, how might he want to change us in the future? Uh, none of us are finished products. We all are on the road to sanctification. Uh, we will never get there. We have to keep walking the path every day. We're closer to Christ than we were yesterday, but not at where we will be six months, a year from now. So be aligned with the Spirit. That is the mark of a true believer. And he will guide our progress and he will be pleased by our obedience as long as we seek out this spiritual alignment, that we resemble the characteristics of the man, the woman with his mind set on the Spirit rather than the man or the woman with his mind set on the flesh. Let's pray. Lord God, I don't know how we will ever come to comprehend fully the gift of the Holy Spirit, that, that God himself dwells within us. Lord, that concept is, is incredibly deep and hard to fathom, uh, and yet that does not make it untrue, Lord. The fact is that when we believed, we received your Holy Spirit, and now, with God living inside of us, we can do things in your power that, that we could never have done in our own power. Lord, help us to live the life that you want us to live Lord, help us to become more Christ-like. Help us to draw others to your Son so that they too might be saved by your power, by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, help us to be who you would have us to be. And Lord, help us uh, in this world to be a light to people who so desperately need it, especially now, Lord, when, when this world has gone so off the rails. Lord, help us to be who you would have us to be. We pray these things in Christ's matchless name. Amen.